0: Hey, listen. Um, let's start this morning. Uh, we're in a brand new series called "This Is Us," and and I, I, it's funny to say stuff like this, but I was gonna say let's start with prayer. We probably should pray every time before I preach. Can I get an amen? Oh, you've heard me preach before. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I really so this series we've been we've been preparing for this for um a a while now. Just really feel like there's something on it from God. Um. 2020 was nuts. Can I get amen? Do you agree with me? And a week into 2021, I think we're all calling this 2020 plus, right? Like 2020 extended, like the bonus time, whatever. Um, People just, I feel like the church's identity is so under attack. And and not just the church collectively, but I think even here at the gathering, I think um, just Christians right now are kind of like, Ugh, like, who, who are we? And, and I want to tell you one, two things, and then we'll pray. Number one, if you feel like that, if your head's kind of spinning, you know, and you're like, I thought I, I, thought I was stronger than this, um, number one, you're normal. It's normal to feel a little, like, off balance when you go through crisis. And number two, this is going to sound like it's almost contradictory, but it's not. As much as it's normal to feel that, it's 100% the way the enemy attacks us. So if think back to Genesis um, chapter in the, beginning, in the beginning of Genesis when Eve's talking to the serpent. And what's the question that he asks Eve? Did God really say, right? So his tactic's always going to be to confuse us, make us doubt, make us wonder. And so I feel like his, his hand is on this series because we're starting the year by simply saying to God, remind us of who we are right remind us of who we are in Christ and listen I just want us to pray I want us to pray that we would have open hearts to receive it and then I also want you to pray because I'm scared to death (laughs) okay not really to death just like I'm so nervous because I just feel such a like God is just on this message and I want to make sure that I'm out of the way does that make sense and I will be, of course. God loves to get me out of the way. So listen, let's pray. While you're praying, ask God to open your heart and then ask God to help me. Father, we come to you this morning. We come hungry to your word. We come expecting you to speak to us this morning. Man, we, we, we so need to hear the voice of the Father this morning. We need uh, course correction in America for sure. But God, it, it's, not, it's not out there. It's in us, God. And so we just bring our our hearts and our souls and we just lay them before you. And we know this to be true, that if we're asking you to speak to us, you're not going to do anything less than that. So we uh, listen closer now, God. We are leaning into your word. We're leaning into what you have to say to us. We ask that you would help us in your name, Jesus. Get me out of the way. Get me out of the way, God. When we leave this place, I pray that we would all be amazed at who you are. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, So listen, a little bit of a trick. I I, I told you that we're going to start a series talking about who we are. Like, who are we? And I think that might be the wrong question to start with. I think the, the best first question is, whose are we? Okay? So this morning... Um, every week you come back during, the, during this This Is Us series, it'll, be, it'll go like this. So This Is Us, and today we're going to talk about we are and then fill in the blank. And there will always be something that we put into that blank. But today we're going to start with we are His. We are His. So if you're taking notes, just jot that down. We are His. Let me give you a couple verses. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. Pop quiz, don't feel bad if you say yes by raising your hands. But how many of you have ever read a portion of the Bible and thought to yourself, what in the world does that mean? Raise your hand. Yeah, me too, right? It happens a lot. So I love verses like this that are super clear. Don't you just love the the plain talk in this verse where he says, hey, we're his. And that's what we are. Just a matter of fact, that's what we are. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And I love that, y'all. I love that. We are his special possession. So that, that's a statement about identity, right? We are his. Turn to the person next to you and say, I belong to God. Now, make sure we're all on the same page here, right? The way that we belong to God is we've accepted what Jesus did on the cross for us, right? And when we accept what Jesus did on the cross, what we could never have done to pay for our sins, when we accept that, we become His children. And we are His. And so this morning I want to just simply ask this question. What does it mean to be His? Two points. Here's the first one. Being His means that we've been chosen by God. You and I are chosen. There is power in being chosen. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, sometimes we come to God, and we're like, you know, God, I picked you first. No, we didn't, right? We didn't, but he chose us. He chose us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says this in the New Living Translation. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy And without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. Now, um, I have from time to time heard the accusation as a pastor that, like, I don't sometimes I don't teach deep enough. I I don't really take offense at it because that's just kind of American church, right? But I want you to know this. Doctrine and theology is important and it matters. They're big words and they scare us, but it just means the study of God. But I've been in ministry long enough to know this, that sometimes we start to argue over things that maybe don't matter as much as the truth. Let me give you an example. This verse that we just read, I love this verse. It talks about how God chose us in Christ before the world began. It talks about all these great things. And I know for a fact that sometimes people will have doctrinal and theological arguments about this verse over when God chose us. And do you know what they miss? Everybody say what? They miss the most important part, which is why he chose us. And here's why he chose us he wanted to. It brought him, what does Paul say? Great pleasure. He wanted you. Y'all, some of you responded to that like you're still stuck in middle school. Like you're still the kid in gym who never actually got picked, but it was more like by default, right? And I can relate to that. I heard this more times than I wanted to. We'll take Paul, right? But when God chose us, that's not how God chose us. It gave him Good, great pleasure to choose us. He did it because he wanted to. He wanted you, y'all. That should make you sit up a little bit straighter and turn to the people in your family and go, uh huh, I've been telling you all this time, right? He wanted me. He wanted you. You are his because he chose you, because he wanted to choose you. He didn't get stuck with you, you're not leftovers to him. And we have a really hard time believing that because we're so duped is a fun word. We're so duped into believing that God only loves us when we do good things. But according to this verse, if he chose you because he wanted to, and if choosing you gave him great pleasure, then on your worst day, he still smiles at you. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with a man that I really respect. I don't hear from him often, but I got a text saying, hey, could you give me a call? And so I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. So I called him. We talked for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And when it was over, I said these words to him as we were hanging up. He said, hey, thanks for giving me some of your time on a Saturday. And I said, listen, you call me anytime because I can't say this about everybody, but when I see your name pop up on my phone, I smile. That's how God feels about you whether you believe it or not, y'all. If you're in Christ, he chose you because he wanted to, and you give him great pleasure. It means that after the worst day, when you lay your head on the pillow and think, how could God love me? The Bible says he sings over you. He dances over you. He's still happy about you. He might not be thrilled with what you did, but he still smiles about you. When I when I officiate weddings, which is awesome. I love when I get to do weddings, and usually I'm the most nervous one there, right? This is, this is part of what the couples will say when they're exchanging rings. I'll have them say this. As they put the ring on their finger, it'll say, they'll say, remember that I have chosen you above all women or above all men. Remember that I have chosen you above all. Listen, there is some power in being chosen, and you and I are. We've been chosen by God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We we looked at this earlier. I just want to point out the last part of it. It says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And here's why we've been chosen. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of His out of darkness into His wonderful light. You and I have been chosen by God so that we can proclaim about God, so that we can tell people about this amazing Father who took us out of darkness and brought us into light. We're not his trophy bride. We're his warrior bride. We have things to do for him. He's called us out for a purpose. He's chosen us for a reason. So first point, we are chosen by him. And so we know from 1 Peter 2.9, we're chosen by him. We're his possession. We're supposed to be proclaiming his, his praises. So the question is, how does that happen? And I just want to give you a quick paraphrase of 1 Peter 2.9, if I can. So you've heard of the Amplified Bible? This is the Paul Bible. Okay, just give me a little bit of grace here. I just want to read it to you the way that I hear it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you, here's the part that I'm going to add, may be believed when you declare his praise. Uh, Listen, the church has a credibility problem, y'all, in our country right now. Have you noticed this? We open our mouths and we talk about God and people don't want to hear us. They don't believe us. It's because something's missing. We've just been satisfied to be chosen by him. I'm God's. I'm king's kid. Bless me. Hallelujah. Right? But God chose us to do something to declare his praises. And we've got, we've got to live in such a way that when we speak about God, people listen to what we have to say. They might not receive it for sure, yes, but they'd at least hear it. We at least have a voice into their lives. And so how does that happen? Here's the second point. We're set apart for him. We, we are, we're chosen by God, and then we're set apart for God. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation, a stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, right, we are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. So what what Paul's talking about here is I'm going to say the H word. uh, We shouldn't say this stuff in church. The H word is holiness. Nobody talks about this anymore, right? Holiness is like a bad word in the church because the minute you say things about holiness, People have this vision of, like, nuns and monks, right? And like, gosh, I'm never going to have fun again in my entire life. But holiness simply means to be set apart. And I want to show you quickly um, that our culture actually celebrates holiness, the concept of holiness, right? We celebrate the concept of holiness. I think we had a couple pictures here um, from some people that we've celebrated in the past. Do we have those? Do we have... Do you know who this is? This is Michael Phelps. Apparently, if I give you the first name, 10% of you know it. It's okay. And then uh, we have another picture. This is um, Simone Biles. Good job. That's actually, I would not have known that if, if I hadn't looked it up. So these are two Olympians. These are the two most celebrated Olympians in American Olympian history, Olympic history. Michael Phelps has won more gold more Um Simone Biles is the most most celebrated and the most, um, she's won the most medals as an Olympic gymnast in our country's history. And what I want to submit to you is this. Both of those athletes, I don't know where they are with Jesus, okay? So this is kind of a weird concept. We're talking about holiness. Those two embraced holiness. They embraced it. They won the gold because they embraced holiness, And our culture, which we could argue is post-Christian and possibly pagan, celebrated it. We all watched on TV. We might have stood up and cheered in our house when they won the gold. Um, I can think of a couple races that I watched Michael Phelps like barely win, and I was like holding my breath, and then I was like, yeah, you know. Like we all celebrated it, and it's because they were holy, because they lived their lives set apart to something bigger than who they were. In an interview, um. The interviewer asked Simone to describe her typical day. I thought I would just read it to you. In the morning, I usually get up between 7.40 and 7.45 a.m. That's a very small window, isn't it? And then I brush my teeth, do my hair. I just throw on my leotard and my clothes, and I go to the kitchen. I make breakfast, which is usually Kellogg's, red berries, or egg whites. Then I go to the gym. It's only 10 minutes away. I have practice from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., Then I drive home and eat lunch, which is either chicken or fish so I can get the protein. I grab a quick snack, and I head back to the gym from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., and usually I have more routines. After that, I have either therapy at the gym or I'm at home, and then I eat dinner and chill and do it all again the next day. That's her life. Six hours in the gym a day, eating certain things. Michael Phelps, his typical day. I love this. 6 a.m., wake up. 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., swim. 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., lift weights. 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., eat. Who wants that schedule? Give me two hours at lunch, right? Now, I don't know if you know or not, but Michael Phelps would eat on average eight to 12,000 calories a day. Because his, his trainers said if he didn't eat that many calories, he would lose five pounds a week just due to his workouts. After lunch, 12 to 1, nap. I'm loving this. 4 to 6 p.m., swim. If you're keeping track, that's four hours in the pool, in the water a day. 6 to 8, dinner. I like it. Every minute you swim, you eat. 8 to 10, time with family. And then 10, bed. Even when he wasn't actually in the pool swimming, he was in his mind swimming. His, his trainers, the, the, his team, taught him how to visualize when he would lay in bed, either during the nap time or at night when he was going to bed, he would visualize every moment of every race he was going to swim. So if he was going to, I don't know what the distances are. like. If it was a 400 meters, I think that's down, back, down, back, maybe down, back. Them. anyway however long that takes he would lay in his bed and he would see the whole thing so however long it actually takes him to swim 400 meters he would spend that much time in the bed visualizing himself swimming 400 meters are you with me he was obsessed with the pool but do you know that he won the gold medal in 2008 in the 200 meter butterfly He said he won it specifically because he would lay in bed and think about the race and visualize it because for the last 75 meters he couldn't see a thing because water got in his goggles. And you thought that only happened to people like us. But he couldn't see a thing in an Olympic race and still won it because he had set himself apart. He was wholly committed to the process. If you asked Simone or Michael, hey, let's go grab a movie. Hang out with friends. If you asked them that during a specific part of their time when they're supposed to be either lifting weights or resting or whatever, their answer would have been, and nobody would have said they were legalistic. They would have said they were committed. But come to the church and say no to certain things so that you can have more of Jesus, and suddenly you're legalistic. And I'm telling you that God is calling us back to holiness. He's calling us back to a place where he matters more than anything else in our lives. And where we will say no to things just because we want to say yes to him. Or, let's phrase it another way, we'll say yes to him, and that yes might lead to some no's other places. Listen, holiness looks like what we just described, Without being set apart to the goal, neither of them would have ever had the gold medal. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I know that what the author is saying there is that if I'm not holy, I won't see the Lord. But can I just submit this as well? If I'm not holy, no one's going to see the Lord through me either. And that's what God's talking about. When when Paul wrote in 2 Timothy that we are his and those who belong to the Lord will turn away from evil, it's because we want to shine like stars in our culture. We want people to see Jesus through us. And the way that happens is we set ourselves apart for him. I'm convinced that a lot of people are waiting on God to make them holy. And God's looking at people going, make yourself holy. Set yourself apart. Make a decision to be different. And if you'll do that, then I can begin to work. Here's your big idea. If you're new here, big idea is my way of admitting that you won't remember much of what I said. But hopefully you'll remember this. Hopefully. Big idea. We're chosen by God to be set apart for God. We're chosen by God. That's the part he does. So that we can then choose to set ourselves apart for God. I wanna show you what happens when we do this. Um, kids, you're doing great. Your parents are struggling, but you're doing fantastic, right? So, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're almost done. We read verse 19 earlier, but God's truth stands that the Lord knows who are his, we are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. And now he begins to describe what that looks like, okay? So just give me five more minutes and we'll be done. Verse 20 says this, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. Let's just bring that into today's um, language. Some are like fine china, and some are like paper plates, right? So um, in our marriage, Wendy's fine china and paper plates, right? That's kind of how that works. And I always read this verse that way. I always read it like, hey, God's God and he's sovereign and so he's got some people that are really gifted and he wants to use them to do amazing things and then he's got me. And I'm just, you know, I'm paper product, but hey, at least I'm being used, right? That's kind of how I always read that. And then I read verse 21. If, everybody say if. If you, who? If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I don't have to be stuck as a paper plate. This is fantastic for paper plates. Now, if you're already like fine China, you're like, well, hey, welcome to the club, right? But like for me, I read that and I was like, are you kidding me? I thought I was just like an average dude. But there's a way for me to become like fine China to God And the way that happens is if I make a decision to keep myself pure, to set myself apart for God. And when I do that, listen to what it says. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Man, who in here wants to be used by God for every good work? I do. And then he starts talking about how that happens, right? Verse 22, so run, not walk. Not stumble, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. See what's happening here? We set ourselves apart for God, and now we're surrounded by people who have also set themselves apart for God. And then he gets to verse 23 the life verse for America in 2021. Please, can this be the life verse? Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. That should be like our national verse for 2021. And we can do that if we choose to not get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments. That's part of setting ourselves apart for God. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel But must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Holy cow. Can we pray now? Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Listen. Holiness, y'all. And I, I, know, I know that in our culture, in the South, in the Bible Belt, that me talking about holiness can open up so many things. Like, I don't, I don't fully understand everything about what I'm about to say, but I've pastored long enough to know this. There are just some people that like to get beat up at church. They just love to get beat up at church. You should preach on sin more. I hear it all the time. I mean, sin matters to God. He killed his son over it. But it dawned on me the other day that, like, if you grew up in a home where your dad only pointed out all the bad things that you did, you're probably in counseling right now. But you want me to tell you all the bad things you're doing? You want God to always tell you only the bad things you're doing? That's not the father we have. It matters to God when we aren't set apart. He sent his son to the cross to pay for all the stuff that we just read that we're supposed to run away from. It breaks his heart when we run back to those things. But it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So I feel like I'm a better man because we've been married almost 30 years, y'all. Pray for this woman, right? Crazy. Like this year we celebrate 30 years. 30 years, y'all. You should be clapping right now. That's amazing. I mean, I know why you weren't clapping because you were like so full of pity for Wendy. I get it. I get it. But I want you to know this. I am a better man today than I was April the 6th, 1991 when I said I do. And it's not because she's nagged me for 30 years need to get better, 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 get better get. <laughs> whatever nags sound like, I don't know because she's not a nag. I'm better today because she's loved me. I'm better today because she stayed. I'm better today because she chose me and power of choice is everything. And we're better as believers when we understand that we've been chosen by God, that we are His. And it gave him great pleasure to choose us. And that he's not nagging you to do better. Because he's already paid the price for you to be better. It's all about identity. And when we understand who we are, it will change what and how we do what we do. But it's all about who we are first. We are his. And I want you to know this morning, man, It pleases him to choose us and it pleases him to use us. He does the choosing, right? And then we have to make a choice to set ourselves apart for him. To say, you know what? I'm not knocking you, but I can't be a part of that because I'm not going to win a gold medal for the butterfly. We we're talking about this earlier between services. I can't do my hands behind my back and hit my hands. That guy's a freak, but. But there are some things that I think I might need to say no to in my life because I just want to be more. I want to be with my father more. I just want to be with Jesus more. I want to look more like Jesus. I want people not to see me. I want them to see him. And that's a good no. And I want to challenge you to that in 2021. Listen, at the gathering, this is us. We value holiness we value lives that are being changed by God. It doesn't happen all at once, right? But we value the transformation process. We value it. We value identity. And so I say this in love because I need to be honest about where we are as a church and where, where I am as your pastor and where you are as people in the church. Man, if, if you're the person who just needs to get beat up from the pulpit every Sunday, there's about 150 other churches to go pick from. That's not who I am. I refuse to try to be who you want me to be if that's what you want. You've got plenty of places to pick from. I'm not that guy. I'm going to tell you who you are in Christ. I'm going to tell you how much he loves you. I'm going to tell you how much he's crazy about you and how much he wants to use you and how he created you for good things, to do good works that he already set up for you to succeed. And then when you blow it like I'll blow it, I'm going to tell you how much we love you anyway. That's who we are at the gathering. and Not everybody loves that. It's taken me 10 years to figure that out. But it's who we are. Because his kindness leads us to repentance. And it's good to repent. And repentance isn't getting beaten up. Repentance is simply saying to God, holy cow, I'm so sorry. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. You know, Peter saying to Jesus, where else would I go? Only you have the words of life. Like on our worst days. He still wants us. And on my worst day, I still want to want him, right? And I'm praying that this year you would be inspired by that. That your activity would change because you know who you are. We are his. Um, Here's how we're going to end this morning. Um, We're going to just play a quick song. I, I feel like I need to give you the opportunity to repent because here's why. Again, repentance isn't a bad thing. It's a great gift. The room's full of a couple different types of people. Some of us here, um, we, we read verses in 2 Timothy 2.19, and we immediately think to ourselves, like, holy cow, there's some things in my life that I haven't turned away from, right? And you, you know what those are. I know what they are in my life. And I think that the best thing to do is not just to hear a message and go, well, that was great, and not do anything with it. We probably should take some time here at the end and just allow the Lord to move in our heart. And so you might need to, you might need to tell God, I'm sorry for some things that are still in my life. I've I've cheated on the diet, right? That I'm not going to get the gold because I've cheated a little bit on the routine, but I, I'm coming back because I want you more than anything else. Uh, there's there's some in the room that I, I I get it. I mean I'm preaching my heart out, but you might just be sitting there going I don't really care, and you have the freedom here to say I don't really care, and I'm just going to tell you that as your pastor I just I pray that God softens your heart and that you you embrace. Like this amazing mission that we have. If ever there was a time when the church can have an amazing impact on the culture, it's right now. It's right now. We need people to step into leadership in cities. We need people to step into politics. I'm not going to be that guy. We need people to step into the arenas where we see all the fighting and the fussing. We need somebody to to fix social media. We need believers to go do that, but it's only going to be believers who know they're chosen by God and who have willingly set themselves apart for him. We need people to say, I want to be in those areas and I want to be pure in my heart when I'm in those areas so he can use me. So maybe that's you too, right? I just pray he changes your heart so that you'll be like, I want that. I'm not talking about being separate. I'm not talking about like we can never engage the culture. I'm talking about how are we going to engage the culture and with what will we engage the culture. I've preached too long. They're cutting me off. (laughs) It's not, y'all. I know. So uh, David's going to hit a button and a song's going to play and I'm just going to give you the chance. Listen, I, I know that I can talk to God in my chair. Yeah, I know that. But there's something about moving Right? And so, like, if God's moving in your heart, I would just encourage you to come find a place at the altar. Uh, there's plenty of place for you to be socially distanced if you want that. I will say this. I could, I could love Wendy from a distance, and I do. What's up? But we would never be married today if I had only loved her from a distance. So get off yourselves, right? Get out of the chair if you need to. And just come down here and hang out with Jesus. He's the lover of your soul. He wants to minister to you. And if you need that while they play this song, you just feel free to respond.